Constantinople now is Istanbul. Now Constantinople been a long time gone. Constantinople now is Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul. Now Constantinople, so if you've a date in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. Hello, welcome to Tea Hanks and Ladies. I'm your host, Darren, and for the first time, it has finally happened. We have no guest, because the film we're discussing today is so bad, nobody was willing to be a guest. And that film, of course, is Inferno. The end of 2016 for Tom, uh, a trio of films of different qualities, one might say. Uh, Hologram for the King and Sully, and then, of course, Inferno. Um, uh, this film uh, ended the Robert Langdon trilogy, um, although enthusiasm had been quickly waning in the decade since Da Vinci Code came out, both for the books of Dan Brown and also for this particular character. Um, Inferno, I have not read that novel. I've not read any Dan Brown books because, from what I understand, they are terrible, uh, even though previous guests have said that they are page-turners. Despite the lack of enthusiasm, this film did make more than its budget back. Um, its budget was $75 million. It did $220 million at the box office. Um, so most of that was uh, abroad, $185 million. So uh, if you're just going from the United States, it was one of the worst performing Tom Hanks films. Um, considering that the first film made, I don't know, $800 million, to reach the end of this trilogy and basically end up with barely 200 million, uh, one has to be disappointed. This, of course, means that Ron Howard is now the person who has collaborated the most uh, with Tom at this particular point. This being the fifth film that they've done together. Um, obviously, the trilogy of The Da Vinci Code, um, you know, being, uh, you know, three of those films. Um, and sharing billing is Felicity Jones and, depending on the posters, Erfan Khan. Um, although Erfan Khan is barely in this film, um, which, you know, is a pity because he's a, a good actor. Of course, sadly, not with us anymore. Uh, he died in uh, 2020. Um, coming off of, um, directly before this, uh, Jurassic World, huge success. Relaunched that particular franchise. Um, obviously... Um, playing the owner of the new park in that. Uh, also doing uh, a voice in Jungle Book before this. Um, this really was his last kind of big successful film, um, although that is relative. Um, and uh, previously, obviously, he'd got much acclaim for being in uh, Life of Pi. And I think most people would probably remember him uh, in Slumdog Millionaire. Um, that was probably the, the kind of biggest film that he had uh, appeared in. Um, second billing, of course, goes to uh, Felicity Jones, a British actor who had appeared in a number of films that I had seen at the cinema, including Cemetery Junction and Chalet Girl, Like Crazy, um, other films that have more than just two words in the title. Um, directly before this, she was in A Monster Calls, and directly after this, she was in Rogue One. Um, and most recently she has been in On the Basis of Sex, uh, and I think the Aeronauts did okay, uh, although some controversy about that because her character um, didn't exist in real life. Uh, you know, the person she was based on was 
a, a man basically and they changed it to a woman for some reason uh, people were not particularly happy with that the families of the people who invented i don't know the hot air balloon whatever that film was about um, both her and Irfan Khan had appeared in different parts of the Amazing Spider-Man duology. She was in part two as uh, Felicia Hardy, who of course becomes Black Cat later on. I'm sure had that franchise continued in that incarnation, she would have eventually um, been that character. Uh, Irfan Khan was in Amazing Spider-Man as Dr. Ranjit Ratha, um, who uh, I think worked with uh, Kurt Connors. Uh, in that film um we also have omar sai um playing quite a large role um chasing down tom hanks and felicity jones for most of the film uh, in the role of christopher bouchard who is working for the who um and uh he had previously been in jurassic world with Irfan khan uh, he also returned for uh, jurassic world dominion his character barry was not killed off um, he'd also been in The Call of the Wild, um, and uh, I guess most people might remember him from X-Men Days of Future Past, where he played Bishop. Um, he was also uh, in Captain America First Avenger um, on the, you know, one of the people on Bucky's team, not really given a character name, but, you know, in that film, uh, which I think he mostly got because uh, he appeared in a film called Intouchables, um, where he played uh, the guy who cons the other guy, I think. I think he's the one. Um, and uh, later on, he would appear um, in uh, Transformers The Last Night doing the voice of Hot Rod, uh, one of my favourite toys uh, as a child. Uh, I remember having Hot Rod, uh, a good Transformer. Um, but he's mostly known for doing uh, French films. Um, obviously, this film retaining the international flavour of the previous two installments, and by international flavour, I mean filming in places where it was cheap to film. We also have Ben Foster playing the main villain, though he dies pretty quickly. We see a lot of him in flashback throughout this film, of course. Um, ben Foster, I mean, I first saw him in Get Over It, and then he was in a couple of seasons of Six Feet Under, um, and then since then, he's been in, you know, a, a many, many films, uh, an, an X-Men film as well, uh, playing, of course, Angel um, in that. Um, and uh, also playing a lot of crazy psychopaths, um, you know, in 310 to Yuma, 30 Days a Night, uh, Pandorum, Contraband. Um, I think I remember him playing, uh, you know, kind of slightly psychotic people in those. That seems to be the thing that he does. Um, and, you know, in Alpha Dog, you know, of course, uh, I think playing the person who kills the person. Spoiler alert for Alpha Dog if you haven't seen that. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, more recently, uh, Hello, High Water, which is uh, a great film. Um, and then he was in Warcraft the same year as this. So not a good 2016 for Ben Foster. We also have The Return. Um, in Tom's career of Sissi Babek Knudsen, who, of course, we will all remember as Hane in A Hologram for the King. And here she plays Dr. Elizabeth Sinski, although everyone just calls her Elizabeth. So, I, like most of these people, when I was watching the film, I could barely remember any character names. So, you know, I mostly made my notes referring to them just as the uh, people who were playing the characters. Um, you know, uh, adapting the novel once more, we have David Cope. I've spoken about him before. 
uh, because I think he also did Angels and Demons, uh, but not Da Vinci Code. Um, obviously, uh, a director whose films I've seen, um, you know, uh, Premium Rush, um, Stir of Echoes. Uh, he directed those. He's written a lot of different films. He's the kind of guy who just writes blockbusters, basically. Um, and obviously, that is what he did here. Although, um, I will say this. Um, unlike with the previous films, uh, this film has no like real identity. Like, Da Vinci Code was, you know, kind of interesting with the whole, you know... I mean, we had, obviously, um, another X-Man. Um, although, you know, Magneto... Um, or Gandalf, depending on, you know, how you know him. Saria McKellen showing up in that uh, and turning out to be the villain. Um, and then, obviously, in the second film, um, you know, which I can barely even remember, uh, again, it was pretty much the same plot. Um, somebody t- who they thought was the good guy turned out to be the villain. I have, who, who knows if that will happen in this film? Um, spoiler alert, yes, of course it will, because, you know... Um, Dan Brown has no imagination. But this film seems to be more liberally stealing from Born Identity, which feels weird because Born Identity came out like 17 years before this or 16 years before this. Um, oh no, it was 2002. So, you know, 14 years before this. Um, and, you know, a little bit of the, uh, you know, the James Bond stuff that's also stole from Born Identity, but. You know, we've got kind of some amnesia, some flashbacks, um, you know, and a couple of minor twists. But there's less running about between historical um, things, which is what seems to happen in Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. It's like, here's a location. We've got to go to that location. Uh, A lot more in Angels and Demons where there's, you know, running around Paris. Um, Here we run around a couple of international locations. um, And, you know, it kind of doesn't, like, it just doesn't it doesn't feel like it's its own film it's just i i mean i feel like ron howard was tired of this franchise and i think tom hanks was too um we do get a couple of tiny callbacks to the previous film where we have the mickey mouse watch which of course was famously missing from the first film um and then we also have uh you know swimming uh, you know there's some some, some swimming that goes on um, you know, because obviously Robert Langdon is the world's greatest swimmer. They call him the dolphin, I think. Not in this particular film, but yeah. So uh, I never saw this at the cinema. I had no inclination to see any of these films at the cinema. Um, and I stand by that decision. I think I was correct in not seeing these films at the cinema. As I said, Tommy's getting top billing on most posters, but some of them put Irfan Khan and um, Felicity Jones on them. Uh, just depends which, you know, I guess which territory you're in. I think in the UK they emphasised Felicity Jones a bit. Um, And I'm assuming, you know, in some more international territories, they also emphasised Irfan Khan. As I said, first half of the film, he's he's barely in it. It's more um, Omar Sy is the kind of antagonist. And then when we finally meet Irfan Khan, it turns out he's in charge of a shadowy government organisation, much like in Born Identity, and then he kind of takes over. Um, if I can give you a very, very brief synopsis of the plot, it is this. There is a plague that someone wants to release so they can wipe out most of humanity and start all over again. Yes, it's that old chestnut. Um, I mean, when you have the whole Avengers thing with Thanos, 
it feels kind of weird to have Ben Foster effectively kind of giving the same speeches that Thanos does and talking about lack of resources and, you know. And then, weirdly, all of this plays into some of the COVID-19 conspiracy theory stuff that's been going on in the last couple of years about the Great Reset and all that kind of stuff. If you value your sanity, do not look into all that. But basically, the general gist is they, whomever that might be, um, is trying to wipe out something, but, you know, to do something. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist in any way, and so, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. But some of that is kind of in this film, and it's really weird to see it, you know, a couple of years before uh, COVID-19 happened. Some may say that Dan Brown was responsible for COVID-19, or something along those lines, because, of course, there are conspiracy theorists who will say anything. Um and yeah, so like, but the idea of like, you know, having a plague that wipes out a portion of humanity as if those people don't, you know, don't have their own lives or don't exist or whatever, um, you know, so that some people who are, you know, geniuses or whatever can, I don't know, it, it, it's, it, it's just kind of stupid. And the plot of this film is extremely stupid. Um, you know, Ben Foster seduces his girlfriend, you know, who I'm not going to reveal who it is, but given the cast list, you can probably guess, um, into carrying out his plan. But his plan starts off with him killing himself, even though he's like a, you know, meant to be like a multi-billionaire. I don't know. It feels like they're trying to, I don't know. It's kind of like an Elon Musky type thing, um, you know, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it kind of fits Bill Gates, you know, like. Uh, but you know he's a, he's a billionaire he's very clever and he's decided that humanity needs to be reset and so he's going to kill himself but also half of the population there's too many people on earth etc 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 um not particularly interesting but then the film while it keeps putting that in there it also then spends a lot more time you know in the mechanics of it being like a born identity type film uh, but this time, t Robert Langdon is Jason Bourne. Um, although that would, you know, I think that would be an amusing film if Tom Hanks were to have taken on that type of role. It's funny because, like, uh, you know, I guess people didn't really think of Matt Damon as being like an action star until he did Jason Bourne. And of course, that came out the same year as Some of All Fears, you know the rivalry between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon there, both of them doing action films. And obviously, you know, the, we all know that instantly Jack Ryan was recast three more times, uh, whereas, you know, Jason Bourne is, you know, is Matt Damon. Um, and obviously those those films, you know, increased in quality as they went along or decreased, depending on how you feel about, uh, you know, the stylings of uh, Paul Greengrass, who, of course, has worked with Tom before, and we'll work with Tom again uh, in a future film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like all the Bourne films, even the ones, you know, even the 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 kind of the fifth one and the fourth one, which some people don't like. I still like them all. They're enjoyable films. Um, you know, Matt Damon beating up people with a rolled up newspaper. Always fun. Um, but yeah, Robert Langdon, uh, Tom Hanks, he does not have that physicality. He cannot be an action star in his 50s. Uh, you know, he's not... Liam Neeson, who is like seven foot tall and imposing and, you know, uh, so it's kind of odd that they decided to change the tack of how the whole of this franchise works by turning it into this kind of weird um, Jason Bourne type, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, but anyway, 
Uh, also, the, the involvement of the WHO, which again, conspiracy nuts out there for COVID-19 stuff. They insist that somehow the WHO is the most powerful organization in the world when it is barely a competent organization, um, you know, which is not their fault. They're just funded in a really weird way. But in this film, they are some kind of shadowy organization that can cross borders and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we start the film with Ben Foster telling us that humanity is the disease and Inferno is the cure. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, sure, whatever, Ben Foster. Uh, he then goes and kills himself uh, by falling from a, a height. Uh, at least the fall is amusing because he bounces off a couple of different roofs on the way down. Um, but on him, he, you know, he had something. We cut to, you know, Monday the 20th of June and Robert Langdon is, you know, got a head trauma. Um, you know, he he thinks he's still somewhere uh, somewhere else. But it turns out he's in Florence, which he works out when he asks for the curtains to be opened. Um, you know, Felicity Jones is here. She is she is his doctor um, and uh, Dr. Sienna Brooks. Um, and immediately uh, we see that there is a woman who is heading up. Um, you know, played by uh, Anna Ulara, Ularu, um, playing uh, the character Vayentha, um, who works for the Consortium. Um, and, you know, she's she's there to kill Robert Langdon, uh, we think. This, you know, might take a different tack later on. She's dressed as a police officer. Um, you know, we see that a police officer is coming up. Um, there's a bit of talk between Felicity Jones and Robert Langdon. She says when she was a you know a kid, she really loved puzzles, and you know she saw him speak at some event or whatever. Because of course he's the world's uh, best known symbologist, um, and he's constantly giving lectures and you know pointing out that I don't know the swastika it was not used by Nazis first or whatever he did in the first film. Um, now the police obviously uh, she's not police, uh, despite the fact she rode up in a police uniform on a police bike. Um, she's actually an assassin and she tries to fight shooting at them as they, you know, go into the, the bathroom. Um, you know, they manage to escape. Uh, they get into a taxi. We see throughout this film some flashbacks from Robert Langdon or some flash forwards or some visions. I don't know how we could classify them where he sees that the entire world is on fire um, and his head trauma keeps making him see these things. Um, uh, and apparently we find out that when he was brought in, he was mumbling something. Um, and, you know, he's kind of talking about, uh, uh, you know, those those masks that were worn by plague doctors with the big pointy noses. Um, and we, you know, we see him, uh, you know, go back to the home of, Fel oh, no, go back. Yes, go back to the home of Felicity Jones. They go to a, they go to a hotel afterwards uh, where, you know, she she has him change clothes. Um, uh, she makes a, a kind of a sly reference here to the fact that the clothes belong to somebody who would stay over occasionally. Um, so we're guessing that is her boyfriend. Um, don't want to spoil who that might be, but given the short cast list, it's one of three people. And there's two, it's definitely not. Um, and we see that he reads his emails. Uh, Robert Langdon, he <laughs> logs in and reads his emails. Such an exciting scene. Uh, there's a reason why Jason Bourne doesn't have an email address, and that's because it's not really that interesting to, you know, read the emails. But he envisages his friend Ignacio being eaten by a snake, um, and he suddenly kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of is shocked back out from reading his emails by this. Um, the, his email is signed off with um, Paradise 25 
Um, so we've got Inferno, we've got Paradise, and then we find a little tube, which, um, you know, could contain uh, something deadly, uh, you know, and, the, you know, Robert Langdon is cautious about opening it, uh, but they do, and it turns out it's like a little flashlight projector thing that projects a picture of Dante's Inferno. Uh, shows the different levels of hell. Of course, uh, Dante is the person who invented what we mostly think of as being hell. And this is exactly what Robert Langdon and, um, you know, Sienna tell each other, even though both of them know it. Once again, exposition for the sake of it. Um, they call the consulate. They're looking at the picture, though, while they're waiting for someone from the consulate to arrive. Um, you know, they're at this hotel. Um, and then we see the, I don't know, WHO's Black Ops team arrive. I, I don't know. It's really weird. Uh, this is where Sai, Omar Sai is kind of uh, brought into the film. Um, as they're reading the painting, they're kind of decoding stuff that's on it. Um, you know, the, 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 we see this lecture from Ben Foster about, you know, the, the doubling of the population. He does that thing about, you know, if you put, if you have something in a jar and it doubles, you know, every, I don't know, hour or whatever, when, when is it, when is it half? And the answer, of course, is, uh, you know, one minute before, because obviously it doubles. And, you know, he basically says we're one minute from midnight. We've all heard this. It's, you know, the whole doomsday clock thing. Uh, it's not like the doomsday clock is like a scientific measurement or anything. But yeah, the world is falling apart. Um, but, you know, I don't know that Ben Foster's character is going to do particularly anything exciting about that. Uh, we find out on this painting that the circles of hell have been rearranged and in each circle there is a, a, a letter and it turns out it's an anagram because, of course, even though he is the world's greatest symbologist, Robert Langdon only ever solves puzzles that three-year-olds could solve. And so we see that the, the team is catching up to him um, and uh, we cut to Irfan Khan and, you know, he wants to find Robert Langdon because he's got this flashlight projection of the Dante's, you know, um, Inferno, Circles of Hell. And, um, you know, his kind of secret underground team, the consortium, um, they want to get to the location where Langdon has gone with Sienna. Uh, they've obviously gone to a church type thing because, of course, Robert Langdon is always going to churches. Um, and But the, the problem is that the, the whole area has got law enforcement, you know, and so they can't get through. Uh, Robert Langdon and Sienna decide to take a side entrance um, and we find out that uh, Irfan Khan has issued a kill order on Robert Langdon. Um, they end up at the Hall of the 500, which has a nice big painting on it. Uh, lots of people who are, I don't know, in hell or have got plague or whatever. There's a lot of mention of, um, you know, the Black Plague and how it was a great thing for Europe. Obviously, it wasn't because it killed a lot of people, but there are some, you know, psychotic people who believe that it, you know, led to some kind of reset with society, and that is the uh, the tack that Ben Foster, of course, is taking. Um, and through this, you know, looking at the picture, Robert Langdon sees a flag, and it's the eyes of death, um, and he then has another kind of vision where he imagines himself being stabbed. This is part of the flashback to what happened as to why he ended up with the kind of head trauma and in this room in Florence. Um, and, you know, he's just standing there yelling, which with the visions looks kind of interesting, but it's just a guy standing under a painting yelling uh, in the middle of the day. Uh, they meet a, a guide, uh, Marta, um, who is pregnant, and they have a conversation about, uh, you know, Dante's death mask. 
Uh, obviously, when some you know well-known people died back in the Middle Ages or whatever, they would take a cast of their face and they would turn that you know they would call it a death mask and they would you know it's basically kind of like a, the only way of preserving what they looked like uh, a kind of you know photograph of some kind, but in you know three D. But when we get up to the room where the death mask should be, we see that it has been stolen, um, and the people who stole it, when they take a look at the CCTV, were Ignacio. And Robert Langdon. Um, and obviously, <laughs> um, this means that Robert Langdon and Sienna need to make a quick escape. Uh, an alarm goes off because obviously the consortium have arrived and the WHO have also arrived and everyone's getting there. So, um, you know, Sienna and Robert Langdon decide to escape through the rafters. Um, uh, they are joined up there by the assassin, of course. Um, and she starts shooting at them. And then, um, you know, she steps in the wrong place and falls through the painting we've just seen them looking at, and falls from a great height to her death. Um, and again, taken from uh, a different Bourne movie, not the, the Bourne identity this time, uh, Robert Langdon and Felicity Jones manage to escape. But when they escape, they go into a protest. Um, and so they mingle themselves into a crowd. Um, this is much like uh, Jason Bourne did, I think, in the second film, where he was in Germany and he timed his escape to a protest that was coming past. Uh, very clever. It's a wonderful scene. That's a great film. You should watch that. Don't watch Inferno. Um, anyway, we get some more from Ben Foster, and he has come up with the Inferno virus um, that will, in the space of 24 hours, infect half the population, and they'll all be dead. Um, now, the funny thing is, of course, having gone through what's gone on in the last couple of years, uh, we know that if there is a deadly virus out there that you know can be easily transmitted from person to person, it's very difficult to get people to use their common sense and not spread that virus. So yeah, Ben Foster's probably right. Half the world probably would be dead. Um, but we see uh, we see that the WHO agent, played by Omar Sy, has you know thrown away his radio, so he's no longer communicating with Elizabeth, and he catches up to um, the both of uh, Robert Langdon and Sienna. They have wiped the back of the death mask and it has some words on there. Uh, again, puzzles that could be solved by a four-year-old. Uh, Robert Langdon does not challenge himself at all uh, in these particular films. But there's a nice bit of business here where we get, again, some uh, Jason Bourne stuff. Uh, the WHO agent says, look, we need to go to Venice. Elizabeth is the bad guy. And I'm going to throw them off your trail by buying plane tickets to Geneva. Um, and then we will get the train to Venice. Following in the trade craft that, uh, you know, Jason Bourne operates, where he, he does a similar thing where he uh, jumps between some trains, you know, so that people can't follow him. Um, you know, uh, while they're on the way, uh, you know, we find out that, you know, there's a kind of flashback and we see uh, Elizabeth um, and the Gilded Museum. And when we're in the tunnel, uh, the pain causes Robert Langdon to flashback. And we see her kind of basically, um, you know, being the bad guy. Uh, you know, we feel maybe that Robert Langdon's memory is not 100% here. But, you know, Irfan Khan catches up with Elizabeth and he says, look, you know, you've been trying to do this thing and I've been trying to stop you. Let's put an end to that. Let's work together and we can, you know, put a stop to all this. Uh, you know, put a stop to Inferno. Uh, obviously, Irfan Khan being like the main bad guy, being the, you know, Brian Cox in one of the Jason Bourne films, um, you know, or uh, David Strathairn or 
Chris Cooper. You know, any of those general generic, uh, you know, older white guys who tend to be the bad guys in Jason Bourne films. Um, Irfan Khan is occupying that position. So the fact that he's making a deal with Elizabeth makes us think, oh no, Hanny from A Hologram for the King has turned on her, you know, former attempted lover and they are now working together. So they must both be bad guys. Um, at the same time, Robert Langdon and Sienna decide that Omar Sy is not a good guy, and so they're going to double-cross him because, obviously, Robert is remembering that it was Elizabeth who recruited him and not um, Omar Sy, as he keeps telling them. So they basically, you know, uh, beat him up, put him in a toilet, and then they get off, and they get to Venice at 2.49pm in the afternoon. Don't know when we need to know that, but we do. And, of course, this is where Robert Langdon says to us, of course, the origin of the word quarantine you know, is because boats used to have to stay in Venice for four weeks or whatever. Um, you know, again, t- t- telling the audience stuff that, you know, they probably don't care about and characters that already, you know, need stuff. Um, so they, you know, they, they, they need to find a guide, uh, to get them into this particular church. Um, and you know this mention of the sacking of constantinople not istanbul it was constantinople um and so obviously they, they need to get to istanbul um and you know the, they again they're, they're they're caught up to by the uh, who and by the consortium and you know they need to escape out the back of a church um but then it turns out dun 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 the boy, boyfriend that she mentioned earlier was, of course, Ben Foster. Uh, yes, it turns out that Sienna, uh, the winsome brunette in a Dan Brown film, is the bad guy. Uh, not really a shock, but, you know, here we are. We've still got about, I don't know, half an hour to go in this extremely long two-hour film. Um, and, you know... He tries to get out, but he falls down, and we see some flashbacks of Ben Foster and Felicity Jones. Um, you know, they they talk. You know, he's kind of seducing her and telling her about, oh, you know, the world's overpopulated. We need to kill a bunch of people. Bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, usual stuff. Um, we see in the past that obviously Robert Langdon, you know, was basically kidnapped by the consortium. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of, it's, it's funny because, you know, the Omar Sy has him and he's going to kill him, but then Irfan Khan turns up, um, and kills the WHO agent, kills Omar Sy and basically says to him, look, when you were in the hospital, it was us, the consortium. It wasn't really a hospital. And Robert Langdon's, yeah, you know, cause bathrooms in hospitals don't have locks. I don't know that that's a thing, but obviously, that's how he figured it out because he's Robert Langdon. He's the world's cleverest man, except, you know, most of the stuff he solves could be solved by five-year-olds. Um, and so, you know, they kind of, we, we, we see like him and Elizabeth, and then we see the flashback to Elizabeth recruiting him a few days earlier. And we see when the consortium kidnap him, obviously his Mickey Mouse watch gets broken. Um, Felicity is in Istanbul, not Constantinople. It's Istanbul. And, she meets with this professor and they kind of do like a, I don't know, shibboleth to explain that they're both bad guys. And they talk about how they're going to set up some bombs, which are going to let off Inferno. And this will, you know, I don't know, make a plague happen again. Uh, Robert Langdon has tried to figure out where they're going to do this and they figure it out. 
um, and they have to go to the sunken palace, which is you know a, a series of it's it's you know just a very elaborate sewer basically, um, and that is where the bomb is going to be placed. Um, you know when the, to figure this out, he goes to the the tomb of Enrico Dandilo, who apparently was the man who ordered the sacking of Istanbul, uh, although it was Constantinople at the time, uh, and so. You know, we see that Felicity has got two bombs. She's going to place them in two different spots. She's going to put a bunch of Inferno next to them. And we see her being convinced by Ben Foster that, you know, the plague was a good thing. Um, As this is happening, of course, there is a summer solstice concert going on because why not? Um, There's a whole bunch of people that they can't evacuate. So Irfan Khan and Elizabeth um uh, and robert langdon they go down into the sunken palace which you know i gotta admit is a very nice looking set and they try to find the bombs uh Irfan khan gets into a fight and uh you know felicity jones uh stabs him a few times and um you know she she's already planted one bomb which has been found by the who and been isolated in like a little plastic case which has got some timers on there's some stuff where people are trying to get the timers to turn green or whatever. I don't know. I didn't really understand what was happening there. And quite frankly, I couldn't be bothered to take a look a second time at this extremely boring film. Um, but yeah, so, you know, obviously she tries to set off a bomb, uh, you know, as was the style at the time, using a mobile phone, which looks like it was from 2006 rather than 2016. But it doesn't work because they've turned off the signal. Um, so she goes to try and find the the bomb and... Uh, blow it up you know manually which she does uh it obviously knocks robert langdon off his feet and robert langdon fights with somebody over the bomb um you know but he's a great swimmer so he gets the bomb the bomb you know gets diffused you know uh, inferno releases inside this plastic case the who take it because obviously they're gonna try and work up a antidote or whatever um and we see that you know the bodies are recovered uh felicity jones is dead Irfan Khan is dead the guy from the professor from Istanbul whatever is dead they're all dead there's a lot of dead people um uh Robert Langdon has somehow survived um and Elizabeth gives him back his Mickey Mouse watch uh, and there is some kind of implication that you know they will you know try and make it work again maybe get back together go on a date whatever uh robert langdon he goes back to the you know um church that had the death mask for uh dante in which obviously he had stolen um and he goes up to the guards and he says oh you know how's marta doing and they're like oh you know she's had the kid and then he says oh you need to turn the lights up on the mask you know in the on dante's mask because it's not really very bright I, I couldn't see it properly and you know the guards are like well it was stolen a few weeks ago and of course you know they go to check and it turns out he's returned it and then he kind of runs off um and you know that's the end uh yeah and uh, that's that's it. Tom Hanks is no longer Robert Langdon. They've made a TV series, which I haven't watched because, quite frankly, I've had enough of Dan Brown's nonsense. Um, and, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a two-hour film that feels a lot longer than that. Allow me to confess something. I watched it on one and a half speed in an attempt to get it over quicker. And even then, it still felt a little bit long. And as with some of the other... I, I don't know what this is with... Maybe it's just Dan Brown's writing, but the... The story always feels a bit 
jumpy like it goes from this point to that point there's always a you know a bad guy and then there's another bad guy and then there's always somebody who we think is a good guy but turns out to be a bad guy like it's kind of the same template over and over and obviously i've mentioned jason bourne a lot in this and again jason bourne has roughly the same thing you know like we find out that there's there's always an asset that's been activated and they're always trying to get jason bourne and you know like the the whole thing is kind of but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel that formulaic with jason bourne it feels like it's interesting and it feels like there's something going on whereas with this oh i mean you know we've only got two ratings and i feel like it's fairly obvious that anyone who's listening to this knows where i'm going no t hanks it's like i feel it feels like they're ripping off jason bourne way too late you know i think even as they were ripping this off the film jason bourne came out this year uh that this film was released and even that felt like it was a bit tame, like, you know, ripping off the Jason Bourne formula of, you know, old white man sends people to kill Jason Bourne, then regrets that choice. Um, <clears throat> so I don't I don't feel like they were bringing anything really new. And the story isn't that interesting. Like a guy wants to release a plague and he's a multimillionaire or whatever. OK, I don't care. Um, you know, Ben Foster, I like in a lot of other stuff. Felicity Jones, again, lover in a lot of stuff. Irfan Khan, wonderful actor, sadly missed. This film just does not do anything for any of them. And quite frankly, Hannah was better when she was in Hologram for the King. Um, you know, this just, I don't know, like there's, there's just nothing. I just did, did not enjoy this film at all. There was nothing good about it. And I can't recommend other people watching it, even if they are Tom Hanks fans. For half the film, Robert Langdon has like kind of these flashbacks. He's got like temporary amnesia that doesn't really help the plot. Like it's, I don't know. just don't bother watching it don't bother watching the film it's not very good tom hanks doesn't really get to do much and even the supporting cast are kind of let down by this plot that just keeps bouncing around from place to place with very little explanation why would the boyfriend of felicity jones leave a thing with tom hanks so that they could play this game of cat and mouse i don't it just does not make any why would just what just release like if you're going to release the virus just release it don't set up a bunch of puzzles for somebody else to solve um but yeah that's the world of robert langdon there's always a puzzle to solve and nothing is straightforward um so you can find us on twitter at t underscore ft memory and this film was a hot mess and the robert langdon saga is over uh next time we're gonna square the circle Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. Istanbul.